I assumed based on all reasonable predictions that I would, if not make money, I wouldn't lose any money. And then I went ahead and had the event. Um, I went really broke in the meantime. It revealed a bunch of cracks in uh, the foundation of my marriage, which was shaky anyway. We had been in therapy for two years. And we, um, so I decided to get a divorce in March. The event was in May. And I knew as I was holding the event, like I am $43,000 in the hole. I am going home to an empty house. And I literally don't know what I'm doing next in my life. That was Kristen Kalp. And you're listening to Real Talk Radio with Nicole Antoinette, episode 98. Welcome to Real Talk Radio with Nicole Antoinette. That's me, the podcast that's filled with refreshingly honest conversations about the wonderful mess of being human. On this show, my guests and I are committed to one thing, telling the truth about our lives. Even if it's confusing or messy, even if we don't understand it, even if we don't like it, even if we're embarrassed about it, we tell the truth. No one's trying to sell you anything. No one's trying to get you to fix yourself or your life. You won't find any 10-day, six-step life hacking plans for anything. I'm totally over that approach, and I bet you are too. Life is complicated and messy and painful and beautiful, and we deserve more than a bunch of life hacking tips. Here at Real Talk Radio, I sit down with athletes, writers, entrepreneurs, parents, coaches, adventurers, artists, activists, and many others. And we dive deep into topics like work, love, sex, money, addiction, friendship, racism, body image, mental health, grief, courage, change, and everything in between. This is an adult podcast covering adult subjects, which, warning, often means we use adult language, and we never shy away from telling the unfiltered truth in an open and honest way. With this mission in mind, you won't hear any ads, you won't hear any sponsor promotions. This show is 100% listener-funded, which means that we have complete freedom from corporate or outside influence. Awesome, right? Instead, these honest conversations are made possible by people like you, who give $8 or more per eight-episode season. If you're already supporting the show, thank you. You're the best, and I'm so ridiculously grateful that you're helping me to bring more real talk and honesty into the world. And if you haven't joined our support squad yet, here's where I invite you in and ask for your help. But first, let's talk about beliefs. I believe that where we spend our money is a real-time vote for the kind of world we want to live in. And when you help to fund this show, you're voting for a world of honest, judgment-free conversations. You're voting to hear more stories from a truly diverse group of people, the vast majority of whom are women. When you support this show, you're saying loudly and proudly that women's voices deserve to be heard and that no topic should be off-limits due to fear or shame. This is a show by truth-tellers for truth-tellers, and if these conversations make you laugh, think, or just feel less alone, I hope you'll go to patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette to make your pledge of $8 or more per eight-episode season. As a thank you, you'll get access to over 40 hours of bonus content, as well as our virtual book club, my weekly behind-the-scenes email series, and you'll be the first to know when tickets go on sale for Real Talk Live, the small, fun, in-person event series that kicks off in London in early August. So one more time, that's patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette. Your support means everything to me. It truly does. And it's what will allow me to continue making new episodes for you as we join together to build a kinder, more open, and more truth-filled world. And now let's dive right into today's episode. Today, you'll get to meet Kristen Kalp. 
Kristen is a writer and business coach who's committed to helping you do your deepest, truest work in the world. In this episode, Kristen tells the story of the time she lost over $40,000 on an event she hosted while she was going through a divorce, and that is just the tip of the honesty iceberg here. We talk in depth about depression, marriage, the power of joy, getting more in touch with your body, and refusing to live a small life even at the risk of people labeling you as too much. I absolutely loved hearing Kristen's candid stories and refreshing perspectives, and I hope that you do too. So all of that starts in just a moment, and as always, you'll be able to find all of the links and resources mentioned in this episode over in the show notes at nicoleantoinette.com slash podcast. All right, we are good to go. Kristen, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm fucking pumped to be here. <laughs> Listen, I love it. I am also pumped. It's funny. This is, I'm not sure in which order these episodes will be arranged within the season, but this is the first one that I'm recording for the season, which is always like a little Christmas morning feeling of like, yes, I get to get back into this and record for the next two weeks. And so I woke up this morning feeling very excited to talk to you. Yes, me too. I'm like, I don't know what we're going to talk about for two whole hours. But let's do it. <laughs> let's do it. Let's become best friends. Um, <laughs> so set the scene for us. Where in the world are you? Where are you sitting? What are you looking at? If you have anything to drink, what are you drinking? Um, I am in my bedroom, um, all spread out. I have notes just in case I need them. I have a smoothie, which has spirulina, uh, pineapples, bananas, a little bit of honey, vanilla, chia, you know, just your standard sort of smoothie. Um, I just went to the bathroom because I have great anxiety about having to pause. Now you all know this. Um, I have my essential oils going for their diffusing joy as we speak, and I'm ready to go. Okay, so a couple of questions. I have been interested in essential oils, about which I know nothing other than that they smell good and they sound fun. If it sounds like that's something you're into, what do I need to know? What should I get? What? Tell me all the things about essential oils. Um, I don't know anything at all, but um, doTERRA makes these amazing mixes. And so I get the energizing citrusy blend going and it makes me happy in my heart. And Amazon, like 20 bucks diffuser, a little bit of water, two drops of oil, done. So any of the doTERRA mixes like um, Serenity and Balance, like they just smell amazing. Um, They're wonderful. They're lovely. And they do make a difference, even if it's just to have a little ritual to be like, I am now ready. That's helpful. Yeah, I have my own little ritual things too, where like, this is where the warm tea goes. This is where this happens. And the the essential oil thing, um, it's, it's nice to hear you say they're enjoyable, even though I don't know anything about it, which is totally how I feel. Because I've been thinking lately, this might seem like kind of a weird place to start, but that I don't really allow myself to do a lot of like seemingly like frivolous pleasures, right? Like things that just smell good or like soft fabrics, or I'm trying to get more into just like making choices and doing things that just feel good or smell good or sound good without any sort of productive benefit, if that makes sense. So yes, you have to unlearn so much to be able to be like, I'm getting this because it makes me happy. The end. Yeah. (laughs) Like this smells good. So therefore it's going to be in my office. Yeah. I'm I'm thinking about that. My other question, the spirulina in your smoothie. I've experimented Mm -hmm. with it in smoothies, juices, other things. I can't Mm -hmm. ever get over the fact that it sort of like tastes and smells like a fish tank. (laughs) Like what is, have you found like an amount to use that you don't find horrible? 
just like a very, a very slight sprinkle. It's enough to turn it green. And I got magic spirulina when I was on my Brooklyn bookstore tour for my birthday from this like magical, shiny herbal shop. And I got the spirulina there. So it's literally just in an envelope that says spirulina. I have no idea what brand it is, so I can't recommend it for all your peoples. I'm sorry. Um, but just not that much. And it does its work. And you can also take spirulina capsules, which is way easier that there's no fish tank smell. Yeah, I've, can, d- I've done that can, too. <laughs> like, yeah, just, just, just get it done. You open a bag and it's like, <laughs> like I know all of the amazing health benefits and I smell it. And I'm like, I want to die. I can't. It's, yeah. not, it's the opposite of the essential oils, right? <laughs> perhaps your body does not actually want spirulina. Just, just putting that out there. Perhaps. Perhaps I just want more <laughs> almond butter always. Um, yes. <laughs> so here is my question. Something that I've been thinking about lately are like the times of our lives that we feel most ourselves. So I would love to hear about maybe the last time or a recent time that you felt like fully you, basically who you are and what you're doing when you're peak Kristen. What does that look like? Um, Peak Kristen is probably getting really sort of derisive looks from old ladies and strangers, but like massive thumbs up from children of the world. And dogs. <laughs> That's sort of always what it comes down to. Like my mom, if my mom is shaking her head and my partner is like, yes, and the dogs are happy, we have the triumvirate of like, that is how we know that I'm in the right zone. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Any activities specifically that kind of make you feel most to you? Um, I'm the most me um, when I'm allowed to go deep. So like, I'm the most me right now. Cause you weren't like, okay, we're going to talk about X, Y, and Z that are like three feet deep. And we're not going to talk about when you were like, what is it that you don't want to talk about? And I was like, I literally can't think of anything. This is the best when there aren't any parameters around. We have to talk about the weather and like, just, Oh my God, shoot me in the face. So anytime that I'm allowed to be honest with people and, and for people to be honest with me in return, which is often surprising to them and, and in some way refreshing to them, it's really great. And anytime that I can show people um, like, hey, you could do it this way too. Like it's not exclusive to me. Very specific example. um, When I go to Target, I have like a 300 pounds, six foot four um, partner. And so he's very large and people do not really say anything when he chooses to do things. And so he pushes me around in the cart at Target. And then (laughs) like, and I just, it saves on the budget because he doesn't stop if I'm just yelling at impulsive things like, no, stop, no, no. And he just keeps on pushing. Um, it makes the employees laugh. It makes women that have children just like roll their eyes. And it makes the children like point and give me thumbs up and high fives and be like, mommy, mommy, she has pink hair and she's in the cart. What is she doing? What is, she- I love you. <laughs> like, um, any of that stuff that unveils the potential that's always there for everyone. It's not like you can't go be in a cart. It's not like a price thing. It's a, um, there are often opportunities to have a really good time in your everyday life. And it's up to you to find them and use them. That's an incredible little story. It made me think, wow, when's the last time that I let someone push me around in a cart? And immediately I think, well, that's not what we do. That's not what adults do, right? Like you don't do that. And yet, like, that's not true. That's we made that up. That's what are these rules that we're living by? You're not hurting anyone. Right? You're not, like running over yeah. people in your cart. So why not do that? Yeah. And being an adult sucks. Like I'm a grown up. Like I happen to be in a physical body that is grown up, but I'm totally not an adult. I just can't. I can't do it. 
Yeah, no, but I mean, I think there's something to be said for like an integration of playfulness and like doing just these small things. Like you said, it's literally free. You don't have to buy anything even at Target, right? But like that would be something that I feel like would be a fun memory, like with a friend or with a partner, like, hey, let's take turns. You push me around in this cart. I don't know. That sounds amazing. (laughs) Yes. Like I will push anyone in a cart at any time. There you go. And last week we took the dog in while he was pushing me in the cart. And I was like, you can't do this. You cannot take the dog in. And then everywhere we went, there were just like toddlers losing their minds in full-on tantrums. And I was like, well, the dog is better than the toddlers right now. So it's okay. (laughs) Oh, it's so funny. Um, What are you working on right now? What's important to you this summer? Um, I am working on a class that I'm super excited about with a friend and past client who is transitioning, uh, is almost done transitioning from female to male. And the things that he's discovered as like the things that we write off as like, oh, male privilege isn't real and women are just whiny and there's no real difference between being male and female in the workplace and the way that people respond to you. And he's like, oh, no, it's so much easier to sell things as a male. It's so much easier to establish authority as a male. Um, My client base used to be exclusively female and now males will hire me because males only hire males, whereas females will hire both males and females. Um, and I've done a bunch of ghostwriting. Like I've helped to move, um, like, I don't know, like a million and a half dollars worth of product, ghostwritten product, but half as a male and half as a female. <laughs> Interesting. Meaning that and you've done ghostwriting for like I've men done and ghostwriting, women. Yes. As men and as women. And, um, so that's like all the marketing copy, all the sales pages, all the actual, um, like books, products, classes, whatever. And so my insight is very behind the scenes, like what I have to do to sort of shape shift and to fit the the gender. And then um, we're talking with him about this is what we do um, on this end. Like this is how you can sell a little bit better um, from being this sort of female, mushy, never mentioning that you have anything for sale. And then the male, which is like, and you need to buy something or get the fuck out. Like there's a, <laughs> yeah. there's a spectrum. Um, and so we're addressing the whole spectrum and letting you know that like if you find yourself feeling very female and very not listened to, that's actually fairly normal and it's not completely made up. Um, and so we're helping females to move just a little bit more in the spectrum of like, I have stuff for sale and you can buy it and it's going to be okay. Um, that's, that's what's coming into fruition in the next like eight weeks. It's so fascinating. It reminds me, I'm completely forgetting who said it, but someone that I follow on Twitter was talking about, um, how much they dislike when female writers, you know, basically are sharing their work on Twitter or somewhere on social media. And they just say something like, I wrote a thing like, here you go. I hope you like it as opposed like just kind of like this like meek approach to work sharing. And the, the, mm-hmm. this was just something that this woman was like railing against the like, not just like, oh, I wrote a little thing like this thing took you hundreds of hours. Like, don't I don't know, like it was it kind of stuck <laughs> right. with me of sometimes the way that we like you said, you know, not wanting to like show that we have anything for sale or it, it is an interesting space. It is. And it's this very exclusively female thing um, that m- when I go straight as a male, I'm like, they're like, here it is. It's awesome. Fucking buy it. Here are eight testimonials. P.S. Buy it. Also buy it and buy it. And then when I ghostwrite as a female, it's very like you may come to the space and be part of the community. I'm here if you need anything, if you have any questions, if you need to talk more, if you like it's so and they're both effective because they're both the gender stereotypes that we apparently need 
in order to buy things, but it's, it's actually much harder for me to sink into the female and be like, I'm here for you every step of the way. And I'm like, no, I don't want to, like, I just want you to buy shit. Right. (laughs) Well, yeah. So since thinking about this or just like sort of the evolution of your own career, what are some specific choices or changes that you've made in how you market yourself? You sort of with this stuff in mind. It's actually the most difficult to do for yourself, even though you can observe this. So if you're like, yeah, I get it, but I'm still me and I'm still scared. Um, You can, if you just frame the energy around whatever it is you're making, you're offering, you're producing, or you're sharing, if you frame the energy as a question mark, it's not going to be well received. And it isn't about your thing. It's about like, do you like this? Um, Versus the simple shift of like, I like this. I think you'll like this. So you don't have to be super aggressive, but just sort of removing the energetic question marks around what it is that you're sharing is makes a remarkable difference in how people receive you, respond to you, and and uh, buy or don't buy your stuff. Yeah, which makes me wonder sort of what that's looked like for you. Because, I mean, that makes complete sense, right? But, like, yeah. at first there's the, I feel like, the obstacle of getting to the place where you don't feel as much imposter syndrome or you don't feel as insecure about your own work, right? Like, you have to be able to remove that question mark for real in order for it to not show up subconsciously, like, in the subtext of what your marketing copy is. Yeah, which is extremely difficult and takes a long time. And um, for me, I'm trying to think of specific examples of ways that the question marks have gone away. Um, One of the question marks, for example, is last week I deleted half my email list because they were cold subscribers and I was done paying to talk to them. Um, That was like, I mean, I have fewer subscribers right now than I had six years ago because of that. And that's Mm -hmm. just sort of like, oh God. And then, but then there's that energy of like, right, but they weren't actually opening your stuff or paying attention to you. Um, And deciding to send a weekly email that isn't necessarily about sales because I was like, I don't want to bother you except when I'm selling something. Um, I just started, I guess, at the beginning of this year in January, sending a weekly email that was just, this is new. This is happening. This is going on. You might like this. You might not. Here's some other stuff. And here's the stuff that's for sale. So just being more like, I am here. I am here. I am here. I am here. Um, particularly with regards to email. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I agree. I've done that in the past. I mean, I don't really, I don't have a currently have a public um, email list, but when I did, I've done that too, where you go through and you say, okay, well, this person hasn't opened an email in four months. So why am I paying to have them on my list? Right? Like just like take yeah. whatever weird ego hit of having a smaller email list. It's funny how these things come up of like, I worked so hard to have that. Yeah, but they're not reading it anyway. So like, what are you doing? Right. But like mentally you're like, oh God. Like it's, it's a really weird thing, but it's also just this, like, if they're not interested, they're not interested and they can, they can go. So I think that might be a little bit more of the male energy of like, yeah, you, you cut the dead weight and you can run a lot faster if you're not just carrying this sort of endless supply of like these people, I must carry them even if they're not interested in me. Mm -hmm. Um, No, no, you don't have to, you can let them go. So when someone asks you what you do, how do you respond? It totally depends on the person and if I actually want to talk to them. Okay. Um, but um, if I assume that they are familiar with the internet and they're not going to look down at me for having pink hair, I will tell them um, that I'm a business coach and that I help people uh, get more in touch with themselves and their inner workings and then bring that to fruition in the world. Um, so I'm, I'm the most interested in working with people who have these really tremendous and delightful inner worlds, and then they get just 
horrified to share them with people. And the work that's produced when they share them, is it's the most amazing, stunning, beautiful work in the entirety of the world. So artists, yoga teachers, um, painters, writers, poets, um, breath workers, spiritual teachers, leaders, like all of these people that... Um, that routinely share parts of themselves that are incredibly difficult to express, that almost live beyond words. Like a painting lives somewhere beyond words and you have to bring it into the world. Um, I help people explore and express their interior landscape and then have businesses around that interior landscape. So business coach who sells apps because apps are the latest trend and buzzword, 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 not that kind of coach. Yeah. (laughs) you have this deep sense that there is something in you that needs to be expressed and you don't know where to start or you do know where to start, but you're scared totally, absolutely hundred percent with you and will help you on your journey. So how did you wind up doing this work? It's a long and winding road. Um, I was, I'm officially trained. I have a degree in English education and I was working at a school for socio-emotionally disturbed students. So their least restrictive environment because every student has to be placed in the least restrictive environment possible, which usually means that people with, um, let's say, um, a slight learning disability of some kind, they'll typically still be in a main classroom and then pulled out uh, to do some specific one-on-one type stuff if necessary. Um, these kids' least restrictive environment was there is a student, uh, there's a student teacher, like a assistant, there's a regular teacher. They have an ongoing therapy, they have ongoing music therapy, ongoing art therapy, and there are no more than eight kids in a classroom. So like craziness in terms of the environment. And um, I burnt out so quickly because I was not trained for special education. It was not in my wheelhouse of something that I wanted to do. It was just the closest job. Like I literally was like, this is on my walk around the neighborhood. It's only a block and a half away. I guess I could see if they're hiring. That was how I got my first teaching job. And um, I burnt out really quickly. So I was like, I need a job, any job, any job at all will do. And so I went on Craigslist, like you do, and found a job for a photographer. And so I was like, I can be a photographer, sure. I've taken some photos, I'll be fine. And I very quickly started writing, um, noticing like, this is what's going on in the industry. This is what I'm doing. This is what people appear to be doing wrong or having a lot of trouble with. And I started writing what was called the Brandcamp blog. I wrote that for a year before I was like, oh, I guess like I could mentor people or I could talk with people. I could have products. I could sell stuff. I could do any sort of like actual money making ever. Um, I did that for eight years, like very slowly building up like, oh, teaching. I remember I love teaching. I love teaching workshops. I love teaching online. I love teaching in person. And then it's just been this slow build to the place where oddly enough, I'm really good at helping people hone in on what they're good at and then market it to other people, um, make more sales, stop doing the shit that doesn't matter to them, and then um, bring their gifts to light. So it's this weird, like, it was like, I'm a photographer. No, I'm not a photographer. And then um, I'm a writer and I got a book deal and it's weird. And it like, I've never had just one job title in the past nine years. I'm so rambly. Um, it's always just been this like, and, 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 and like, if you have two ands and then one of those drops out and another one comes in, that's just how it's been the whole time. Yeah. I can completely relate to that. I remember something that you said, I think in a blog post or somewhere, uh, talking about what you do, you said, I help people become more of who they are. That means my projects change as I become more of who I am. 
And that mm-hmm. was like the, the fir- it was such a clearly articulated version of what I have been feeling. Like I'm such the same way to the point where sometimes I even have a hard time not judging myself for that. Like, why can't I just pick one thing and stick with it? Why is it always this thing and this thing and this thing? Or I don't want to do this anymore. So burn this to the ground, do this other thing. And I don't know. So it was really refreshing to hear someone else that sort of like has their fingers in a lot of pies, right? And does. Oh, thank you. Yeah, does these other things. And that's that's actually something that I wanted to ask you about. So can you just talk a little bit about, I don't know, how that works in your day-to-day life? Like, how do you handle juggling diverse and ever-changing projects? How do you let go of a project or product or service that isn't a good fit for you anymore, even if other people love it? Like, what's your process like in this arena? Um, It's messy. (laughs) I always hope that it's not going to be messy. Like, this will be the year that it's not messy, but it's always messy. Um, I think it starts with a really good calendar and a really good scope of this is how much I can do in any given day. And um, I prioritize what is the most important thing to me? What is the second most important thing to me? When does email fit in there? Because I used to just check email first and that's a terrible idea. Um, And then where do I have room um, to grow, to take on new stuff and to to shapeshift as necessary? Um, So when I wake up in the morning because you said specifics, um, I am working from 9.30 to 10, I'm writing no matter what. And then everything else will happen in terms of like, oh, there are other things um, that have to get done. Typically projects, emails, communication, um, me writing communication, interviews, that kind of a thing. And then my afternoon typically is not as productive or as like the genius time is gone. The genius zone for me opens up between 9.30 and noon. And then all the other work of the day happens in the afternoon, but is not my best. Like I'm never, ever writing in the afternoon, no matter what. That's a lost cause, if that makes sense. So everything is hyper scheduled. And then the afternoon is just like whatever's left over that doesn't require all of my utmost good. Yeah, so... That's interesting. You said writing from 9.30 to 10.30 every day. Is that sort of regardless of whether you have something specific you're working on, like writing for what? That's just keeping the channel open. So sometimes that's poetry. Sometimes that's um, the newsletter needs to go out. Sometimes that's a blog post or writing up a podcast episode. And sometimes that's just purely like today that was 20 minutes of like free stream of consciousness and I deleted it at the end. Do you usually come into those sessions with this is what I want to write about or some kind of plan or because you mentioned being hyper structured, hyper scheduled, does that apply to the writing time too? No. <laughs> the discipline of it is being at the like at the laptop, fingers ready to type and and letting whatever wants to come in come in, which I know flies in the face of every productivity expert ever. But that's what I've come to over the course of so many years of making a beautiful, wonderful, unparalleled editing calendar of like, this is what I'm going to talk about at this time with this sequence for these funnels, and then abandoning it inevitably within three or four days, because Mm -hmm. whatever I want to talk about in that moment is not what I wanted to talk about four days ago. So incredible discipline around, I'm going to do the writing today. Absolutely no discipline around, this is what I must write about in order for the world to continue turning. Yeah, no, I love that. I'm similar. I, so um, the 
the folks who fund the podcast through the Patreon community, I send out an email every Friday that's, it's basically, it's called Notes of Grit and Grace. It's sort of like a blog or mini essays or just kind of here's what's on my mind. And I have tried, you know, following so much different advice or, you know, so many different iterations of things of writing them all in advance, you know, for the month or doing like all just different kinds of things. And I'm like, no, it's inevitably whatever is most real for me, like on the Thursday before it has to go out, you're even sometimes like first thing Friday morning, like that's always like I'm diligent about it happens every week. But I yeah, I've I've tried to be sort of like hyper scheduled and choose a topic and what do people want to hear about? And that's always shit. Oh my it God. Never works. Yeah. It never works. Yeah. <laughs> and often what you would choose to write about is actually not dull, but it's not like the most vulnerable or raw or deep or meaningful thing. It's like three ways to make your website suck a little bit less or like it just isn't it isn't true all the way down to the soul of you. Yeah, I uh, I mean, and I, I'm sure different things work for different folks, depending upon, you know, what their niche is, right? Like, I'm not in the business of giving advice <laughs> at all. And <laughs> so there aren't really any, you know, listicles, the three things, this, the seven ways to whatever, like, that's not I mean, I have nothing like that to write about. So it's it's funny to sort of watch myself try to micromanage my own like vulnerability that I'm like, well, if I choose a topic, and I keep it within these containers, then I don't have to be as truth telling. And I'm like, no, like the reason that I'm here here, the work, my work to do in the world is just to tell the truth about my life in real time. And like, I keep wanting that to not be true. (laughs) And it just keeps being true. I don't know. (laughs) No, it makes sense. Like I just, all I want to do when I'm not being vulnerable is hide and be like, I cannot believe these, I, uh, how the fuck am I so stupid that I made my job like being vulnerable and being seen and then seeing other people? Like, why couldn't I have made my job like bridge construction? Like I have these moments of like, why, why, why is it that you have decided that your particular role in this lifetime is to take your soul and show it to people and then hope that they show you their souls back? Why? Um, on the bad days, which are not that often. And on the good days, I'm like, this is the best thing ever. Yeah. So, okay. So why, what do you think? Cause I'm clearly cut from that same cloth or at least some version of it. What is it about you? Like, wh- why this, why this thing? Whatever this thing is, um, it seems like I'm always, always, always after the thing behind the thing. Like you're saying, um, whatever you're saying, there's always something, there's usually a subtext to it, in particular when I'm working with someone coaching wise. And I'm always looking for the thing behind the thing. And then I'm looking to go deeper and deeper and deeper until we find like, what is, what is it the crux of this? What is the nugget that lives here that causes all these other things to happen? That's always fascinating to me. And what is it, like, especially with poetry and with sometimes I paint, like, what is it that lives beyond words that I can pull into the world of words today? Um, that's, I've never found a challenge that is more rewarding and more difficult than that particular one. And yeah. so it, I love that challenge. And I love that every day my job is to wake up and to be like, what are the things that everyone else is ignoring or not noticing? Um, and how can I shine light on them and make people feel a little bit less alone? Yeah, I agree. I feel like that too. There's something in the like, I mean, honestly, I think the heart of this work, and this is probably we're not supposed to say this, it's, you know, you're supposed to talk about serving other people or whatever, which is true too. But if I'm really honest, the heart of it for me is selfish. Like I need these me too moments of I share this thing and someone else lets me know that I'm not alone. And that tends to also be beneficial for them, right? And it's kind of this back and forth feedback loop. But I don't know, sometimes it's just, it's so easy to feel like, 
I'm the only one that has this fear. I'm the only one that thinks, and you're not, right? Like we're not that special. And I feel like I forget that every night and need to relearn it every single day, hence doing this work. Like that's it. Yes. I also feel like at the heart of it, there's a necessary giving and receiving. And so when you're like, we just, I'm just here to serve people. Well, that means you're only giving and not receiving. And that's not fair either. Mm -hmm. Like when I look at people um, and I'll use Tony Robbins as an example, like, who the fuck takes care of Tony Robbins? Like, I understand that he probably has a billion dollars and he can pay for help, but like, he's only giving and what is he receiving in return? Because you have to have equals to receive and he's always the alpha. So like the serving model just doesn't work for me because it it, it implies that there's only energy moving in one way mm-hmm. instead of this, there's a, the cycle and the flow of it. And that's that's where I find the the best moments happen. Yeah, I also find, I mean, I got really burned out on sort of the serving model as it is portrayed a lot in on the internet, right? Like, or in the coaching mm-hmm. space or the self-help space that, you know, this idea of I'm here to help people, I'm whatever, it can be said, like, in a lot of ways, sort of sounding kind of condescending, right? Like, I have all the answers, I'm here to help you. And I'm like, I have no answers. <laughs> I don't know. So for me, it's always refreshing. <laughs> it's refreshing when people are like, here's what's true. But like that, like that's freeing enough. Like you don't have to have a solution, right? Like just like kind of what you were saying of hearing the subtext of what other people are saying or being able to like notice the things that aren't often noticed. Like there's something that's really powerful even in that, right? Yeah, and in hearing... um Often, I don't have any advice. I just reflect back to people really well what it is they're actually saying and make sure, like, is this what you're actually saying? Okay, because if that's what you're saying, then, and then, like, very hard truth, like, you're going to have to give up your marriage or (laughs) this is not working or you don't actually want to be in business or, but I didn't decide that for them. I'm not on some, like, grand top of the pyramid looking down. I'm just like, hey, I'm here to be a mirror and this is what you appear to be saying. This is what you look like right now. Is this true? Mm-hmm. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Which I mean, I think we all need, right? Like, so that's, that's powerful work. So switching yeah. gears a little bit, um, we were introduced by mutual friend slash past guest, Sarah Von Bergen, um, who I adore. And she said to me, she said, you have to ask her about the time she lost $40,000 on an event while going through a divorce. So here we go. That's what Sarah, <laughs> that's what Sarah wants me to ask you about. So please tell us that story. Oh, God. Um, I was having a deeply spiritual phase. As, like like overtly like spiritual whatever I was in I was in circle I was down with the feminine energy I was doing all the things that you're supposed to do to be spiritual and I was in the shower one day and I had this epiphany of oh my god you've had a business called brand camp for I guess six years at the time and you've never ac- actually had a camp also you grew up poor and never went to actual camp. So you could just have an event called brand camp. And it came to me like, you'll have a Ferris wheel at sunrise and you'll play these games and you'll have a marshmallow battle and you will have these speakers and it will cost this much and it'll be at this place. And like, it was just all, I could literally see every aspect of it, which I took to mean, this is going to be a smashing success with no effort. You're going to be wildly profitable and all of your dreams will come true. Okay. That was not promised, but that, but that was what I took from the vision itself. That's what I took it to mean. So I went ahead and set up to have uh, brand camp to camp. I assumed based on all reasonable predictions that I would, if not make money, I wouldn't lose any money. And then I went ahead and had the event. 
Um, I went really broke in the meantime. It revealed a bunch of cracks in uh, the foundation of my marriage, which was shaky anyway. We had been in therapy for two years. And we, um, so I decided to get a divorce in March. The event was in May. And I knew as I was holding the event, like I am $43,000 in the hole. I am going home to an empty house and I literally don't know what I'm doing next in my life. Okay. And that's what I did. But the event itself was beautiful and life-giving and people were like, these were the best days of my life and they have kids and they're married and they're not supposed to say things like that about camps in the woods full of people having feelings. Um, so yeah, I learned that it's not the worst thing in the world to lose 43 grand. I learned a lot about um, my fatal flaw was that I paid absolutely everyone what they were worth, if not more than they were worth, meaning um, I was supposed to, I guess, ask people to come for free or for like, I'll give you $200 and some free food. And instead I paid them appropriately based on their talents and I paid for all of their travel and their, um, I just made a bunch of rookie mistakes that I didn't know in the industry that like when you hold an event like that, you call in a bunch of favors, you ask for a bunch of freebies and you don't actually pay people and that's how you make money. I didn't know that. So I lost 43 grand. And then over the course of the last, uh, I guess it took about two years um, for me to pay it all back, bring myself back to zero and start all over. So how did you deal with that financial loss emotionally? Because I could see that easily spiraling into a whole series of negative stories that you tell yourself, right? About like, I'm a failure, I'm not worth this, or you just, I mean, obviously money is, you know, uh, about a lot of other things other than just money. So I'm curious kind of how you felt afterwards. And because it's, I mean, it sounds almost like when you're talking about it, it sounds sort of neutral, like why well, I lost this money and then I paid it back. And maybe that's the case. Maybe it is neutral. For me, it would not be. So I'm kind of curious how you felt about that. Oh, that's just being three years out from it. That's, okay. It was in no way. <laughs> it was in no way neutral. I only um, started talking about this like maybe eight months ago because it was just this big, vast, like you were a failure stamp. Um, so um, I couldn't, I guess I can't pun intended, like divorce myself from the fact that like both my business and my marriage fell apart at the same time. Within eight weeks, it was just, there it went. Um, and I took that as like, okay, I guess, I guess I need to change some things. <laughs> like, this is not working. Um, and I, I just sort of cleared house. I didn't, I called in every favor I had from people like uh, my best friend, like, will you please make sure that I eat every day? And I called my, um, my business helper and was like, will you please make sure that the paychecks come out and that I have enough money in the bank to actually get issued the paycheck. And I called other friends like, will you take me out and walk me and make sure that I get out of the house once a week? <laughs> like just these sort of very basic, like, please, will you help me function as a human during this time when I am just a shell of an empty human right now? Mm -hmm. Um, and then I, I don't know exactly what happened except that I had no choice because my business is and was my primary source of income. I had no choice but to keep going. And if I had had the luxury of being like, well, I have six months of savings in the bank, so I'll be fine. I didn't have that. So that six months honestly is like a blurry, dark, like just jumble of gross. And I really don't remember a whole lot of it, to be mm -hmm. honest. Like brain is like, yeah. 
<laughs> We're just going to pretend that did not happen. Um, and, and it was incredibly challenging to be like, I still have worth and value in the world. Also, I'm currently 43,000 in the hole. Mm-hmm. Um, that now I'm like, well, that's fantastic. Cause anytime that you're not 43,000 in the hole, you're way better than you've been in the past. Right. But at that, at that moment, it was like, I just wish that I could like be satisfied working at Starbucks and making lattes and never have to write another thing, hold another project or teach another person ever again. Mm-hmm. That was where I was for a long time. Yeah. I mean, I so appreciate the honesty around this because I can imagine, I mean, obviously I didn't know about your, you know, your work three years ago, but I can imagine the photos from an event like this, or like this is the kind of thing that would look amazing on Instagram, right? That, oh my God. Yes. And it's not to say that, you know, everyone's lying and nothing is what it seems to be, right? Like, that's not the sort of the cynical view that I mean, but it is really refreshing to just have a reminder of, you see this thing that looks incredible. Okay, well, someone might be $40,000 in debt to make that happen. They might not, you know, they might be making a million dollars off it. You don't know, right? It could be Tony Robbins style, here's a billion dollars. But I right. think there's just something, it makes me feel just like a slight sense of relief and kind of just like a nice... right? Like exhale of, okay, you just don't know. You don't know how someone funded the thing. You don't know, you know, what this really looked like, what this, you know, and obviously, of course, we all know, you know, social media is not perfect, but it is, I think, helpful to have like deeper details on something that seemingly was really successful, but in an, and I'm sure in a lot of ways was, like you said, it was Mm life-changing for folks. So that can be true. It's not an either or, it's like a both and, right? Like that can be true. And also it was a really hard time for you. Yeah, that's the paradox of like this thing broke my boat, which I the boat is just like this is my life as it is. La 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 la, it's going long. La la, it's sort of falling apart, but it's fine. La la la, and then like at, like I lost all of it, and I'm okay. I'm here. Mm-hmm. It's it's all right. And the things that needed to fall away fell away, and that was great actually. Now three years later, yeah, fantastic. Wouldn't recommend it at the time. (laughs) What's something about divorce specifically that you wish people were more open and honest about? Um, I wish people would stop getting married because it's the right thing to do or it's time. What do you mean? I mean, um, I, I got married because I was like, this is like, I'm 24, man. I'm getting old. And, uh, and that, yes, that is supposed to be funny. Like, come on, like I'm 24 and I'm getting old and, um, this guy's really like, it's like, it's time he's safe. He's never going to hurt me. This is, this is as good as I can do. So I'm going to lock this one in. That is a fucking terrible reason to get married. Like this is safe. This is okay. This is as good as I can do is not ever a reason to commit to a life with someone. Like Mm. I just, I feel like it's not so much that the divorce part of it, it's the just don't get married part of it. Like if getting, and if getting married had been as complicated as getting divorced, I would never have gotten married because it would be way too much paperwork. I would mm-hmm. have been like, we're cool. We'll just hang out. <laughs> yeah. Like, um, and so many of my friends that are married that I talk to, I'm like, if you were dating, would you have left? Like, yeah, I would have left years ago. Okay. So you're only married because you're married. Yeah. hundred percent. And to me, that's not like, yay, humans, we are showing, like, but to me, that's just so sad, like, that 
that this relationship, we're going to decide, we're going to lock it in and we're going to, it's just going to, that's going to be it. I have to deal with this. This is a decision. I've made it and I have to keep making it for the rest of my life. Even when it no longer serves me, it hurts me. It keeps me small. It's painful. It's not working. It's terrible. Or it's just like, meh, it's holding me back because of, um, in my marriage in particular, um, I was, I grow it like just, I don't know, like I've been running at a very steady pace for a long time and I have yet to quit. And that is intimidating. Um, if, especially if you don't want to move at that pace and grow at that pace, then you're just like, just stop it. Just stop it. Sit down and stay here with me. I don't want to do that actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's one of the, so I think when people get married, the other part of it is that you sign a contract. Like there, there are things that you say out loud and then there are parts of the contract that you never speak and you find out years later that this is what you were signing up for. Um, like what? Like I, when I signed my marriage contract, was signing up for um, be the provider, be the alpha in the relationship um, and be um, willing to stay the same size that you are now energetically. Um, and the truth was that I didn't really want any, th- any of those things. They just sort of landed on me by default. And especially the getting bigger part. It was like, no, I have to grow. Growth is like the one thing that brings me joy no matter what. Yeah, I'm the same so way. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. I, I can't, if you expect me to be like, this is who you are, age 24, just lock it in. You're going to die this way at 74. I, I, no, I can't do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting, this sort of talking about marriage in general, which could be its own like whole multi-hour conversation, right? That I've been thinking a lot about just, I mean, marriage is a really perfect example of something that's like so culturally expected and like viewed a certain way. And like, well, that, like what you just said, it's, or what you said before that you get to a certain age and like, it's time and this is what you do, right? Like (laughs) you can insert a lot of those kind of cliche statements there that like, it's just this weird I don't know, we just assume that that's, it's always better than the alternative, right? Like the race to getting married or like that's like a sense of like value or accomplishment or, and not to say that there aren't lovely things about marriage, of course, but it's really interesting the way that we sort of put that on a pedestal and which is why I asked about, you know, one thing about divorce specifically that you, you know, wish people were more open and honest about because I feel like it's often seen as this like moral failing to get divorced. It's like really weird the things that we have around, like you just, you decide not to be in it with a given romantic partner anymore and like you're the worst I don't know maybe you yeah. don't think that but like I see that and I'm just like what I don't know it's made me very interested in um I don't know just these ideas of like love and marriage and monogamy and just like so much of this stuff yeah, is like very no, interesting divorce, divorce is one of the top five best things I've ever done in my life like if we put it down as an achievement yes um that's so no, I mean so so what specifically like for you Either how did it change you or what do you feel like you learned from it or why is it on that list of like five, you know, best things that you've done? Because I took responsibility for my own misery. Mm. <laughs> I was like, this is not working. I have done every conventional thing. I have gone to the therapy. I have had the talks. I have tried to make peace with the in-laws. I have, I have, I have done all of the things I've taken the sex classes. I have tried to give a shit about your sexuality. I like I've engaged in every way that I can think of. And this is just at its root. Like this is not a good match. And for me to admit that I was six weeks into marriage and was like crying. I remember crying on this very bed that I'm sitting now being like, I don't want to be married anymore. 
I was six weeks in and it took eight years for me to pull the trigger and be like, wow. no, really, I don't want to be married. Um, but the thing is that you don't stay neutral during those eight years. You get more and more bitter, more and more resentful, more and more sure that you're broken, that it's you, that that all society says is that you should be married, you should be happy. What is your problem? Um, and when you decide to take responsibility for the fact that like the depression you're experiencing is not random, it's the fact that you're shutting down your soul and you stopped writing within weeks of getting married. And those those poems went away and did not come back until about three months after I said that I was done with him. Um, so I just, I reclaimed my responsibility for my own joy mm-hmm. after, after trying everything in the book. Yeah. <laughs> and so the, the divorce is just this moment of like, oh my God, I liberated myself. Like granted, I got myself into it, but I also liberated myself and it's, it's delightful and lovely. And I have nightmares sometimes that I'm just married again. Like it's not my choice. I'm just married. Um, and it's terrible because clearly I don't view marriage as a positive. I feel like the prevailing energy in my marriage was stuck. Like I'm just, it's all, I'm just trapped and I'm stuck and it's terrible. So my current partner and I have agreed that we can totally like go everywhere, have a photo shoot, have cute dresses and commit to the next five years. And that to me is a far more reasonable thing than the rest of our lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this idea of reclaiming your own joy, and like you said, taking responsibility for your own misery, this sort of like empowering sovereignty, you know, taking care of yourself. It's I feel like that. I mean, I can see why that would be such, you know, a powerful thing in separating from someone. And and I've been thinking lately that that's what it takes to make like a couple work. I've been, I don't know, sort of disillusioned the last few months, maybe the last six months. I've been thinking about this like myth that we're sold that as soon as you find the right person and like more togetherness is better and just this sort of like blending into, you know, one spend all your time together couple, like there's something that's very, I don't know, like we're told that, right? Like this like romantic fairy tale situation and like being able to maintain sort of like separateness and sovereignty and like the, the fact that that can strengthen a relationship and not weaken it is something that I've been, I don't know, interested in lately. So it's interesting to hear like your experience with that. Yeah, my partner and I now are like, go do other things, please. Please don't come home. Please go play with your friends. (laughs) Um, And we come back home better humans. Yeah. Um, Because if you narrow your whole world to just one person, that strikes me as a dangerous thing to do, no matter who that person is. It's also a lot of pressure to put on someone like this, this sort of romantic ideal that one person is supposed to be literally everything, right? Like your best friend, the person that you live with, the person that you build a life with and have a family with and is your like the sum of all of your erotic desire. It's too much. Like it's too much on one person. Yeah, it's insane. I don't know who that person is, but I'm pretty sure they don't exist. Yeah, yeah. Whew, yeah. <laughs> so you mentioned the word depression before, which is something else that I wanted to talk to you about because I know that you've been wonderfully open about depression. Do you remember the day that you decided to, I don't know what the form is that you first shared it, whether it was on the blog or anything like that, when you said, okay, this is something that I'm going to talk about publicly? Yeah, that was, uh, it was just over three years ago. I was going to do a promo series um, for Brand Camp that we talked about, but I lost all the money on. And it was all about like um, doubling your fun, having more fun, um, finding joy in unexpected places, and just generally enjoying life. And I, I was like, I cannot bring this side of me to the table without bringing this other side of me to the table, which is I'm really good at joy because I'm really depressed a lot of the time. And any day that I wake up and I'm not depressed, I am like 
full barrel guns out. Let's have as much fun as we possibly can. So um, this sort of great paradox or irony that depression is a masterclass in joy is true for me. And I was terrified. I was terrified that people would think I was broken, that they wouldn't want to hear what I had to say anymore because I had a mental illness, um, that they would think that I had been lying to them because I had never shared it before. Um, I was I was just horrified. Or that they would be upset that I had never shared it, even though they thought that I should or they were close to me or something like that. Um, and the response was actually nothing but love and like, oh my God, me too. And thank you. And um, and how do you do this again? And specifically, no, walk me through. How do you do this again? <laughs> um, the, I remember being terrified and I remember being so surprised that all the judgment I had made up in my head about they're going to say this and this and this and this and this and like all the brain asshole thoughts, they, they didn't come to fruition. Nobody trolled me about having depression. They were just like, thank you for that. Thank you mm-hmm. for being so honest about this. Yeah, I've had a similar experience. Um, you know, just I've talked openly and honestly about this stuff, you know, forever because I don't know how not to, I guess. It's like the only answer to that. <laughs> but it's something that I've been more interested in lately. Um, I just recently started seeing a new therapist. And, um, you know, I mean, I don't know what your experience has been in therapy, but I find like the first session, especially with a new therapist to be so overwhelming because I just wish that I could take like download my brain into their brain so they know all the things and then we can just sort of go from there, right? Like catching someone up on all the (laughs) things is like so overwhelming, right? And so we were, you know, we were talking about, about depression and, um, she asked me a question that I had never really been asked before. And it was about, you know, the word depression, I think is really commonly used and there's sort of there's sort of an understanding about what that means. And and she was saying that, but everyone, it manifests differently and like it's experienced differently on a spectrum. She was like, so instead of saying, you know, you had a two week depressive episode or you were depressed, like, can you talk to me about like, what is, what did that actually look like? And it was an interesting, like putting me in the position of being like, well, for me, when I feel this way, I feel like, you know, it's not that I'm sad, it's that nothing matters and I don't care or I feel worthless or just kind of like having to go through like the actual like specific qualities and like flavors of what that feels like for me was interesting. And mm. um, it, I'm, I'd be curious if you're open to talking about that, what sort of depression looks like for you. I just don't care. Like you could have like Matthew McConaughey comes in and just like starts doing like all the magic mic moves. And I'm just like, I don't, I don't care. I don't like and, and on a good day, that would be like, holy shit, this is the most amazing moment of the entirety <laughs> of my life. Like, I have peaked as a human. This is the greatest moment. And it just like, I just don't care. And it's like, you haven't showered? I don't care. You, you haven't eaten? I don't care. You have work to do? I don't care. People have emailed you? I don't care. Like, just no matter what it is, it's this pervasive. And it isn't like a flippant teenage, I don't care. It's like the deep soul existential, I don't care. Um, yeah, like this feeling that this just doesn't matter. Yeah. yeah. And like, for me, ultimately, it comes down to like, I'd rather not be here. <laughs> like, I think um, there are all sorts of new age people. They're like, you signed a soul contract for whatever it was that you agreed to do down here. And I'm pretty sure that my soul contract was like a 51-49 split. And like, I, I put it down like, yes, but like, barely. Like, I really thought about it before I manifested in this lifetime. And I was like, all right, fine. But it was was a just barely. It was not a like, yeah, with just a little bit of doubt. It was just barely that I got here. (laughs) Yeah. So how do you manage your business while being depressed? What does that look like for you? It's getting easier with time in that um, 
I haven't had a, a depressive episode that is not in tune with seasonal affective disorder in two and a half years. Mm. So, um, so I plan for like, okay, November's okay. December's, uh, and then January and February are like, uh, like they're just noises of pain and despair, right? <laughs> that sound you just made, that's definitely depression. That's, it's yeah. also the sound that my cat makes when you like move him and he doesn't want to be moved. It's like exactly, yes. it's like how it feels for sure. Like, how could you, how could you do this to me? Life. Um, so I, I plan my business to be cyclical in that way. Like in, we are in July, we are in like, go, 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 go. Like, all the podcasts, all the interviews, all the making, all the classes, all the things. And then it will taper. Um, so that January and February are more like traveling to speak and not being at home, but also not being in deep creation mode because I don't have as much juice to give to creation. Hmm. So, so I can still do coaching, but um, where I would normally have six clients, I'll have two. Um, like everything is way downshifted to allow for my mammal nature to take over and know that in the winter, I'm not going to get as much done. Mm -hmm. What does sort of treatment or management look like for you on a regular basis? Are there things where you're like, these are my self-care things that if I'm, you know, if I do these, these help, or I don't know, I'm always, I honestly, I mean, this is completely selfish questions. I'm like very curious how other, what other people do to help manage mood disorders. No, I love your, I love your selfish questions. They're fantastic. Um, I am on uh, meds and have been since 2001. Um, and I don't use any additional meds during seasonal effective. So it's this purely like, oh, how will we get through? Um, I go to the ocean as often as possible. I wish you could save it, like take a July day and like just shoot it over February and somehow life would be fine. But that's, you know, like it's not how it works. So as much ocean as possible. Traveling especially is super, super helpful for me. Um, January, February, March, when it's like the very worst. Um, breath work has been amazing for helping me sort of, Aaron Telford calls it emotional hygiene, just like express what needs to be expressed, get out what needs to get out, and then come back to equilibrium. It's been really great. Um, sex, oddly enough, keeps me super duper fantastically aligned. Um, I get regular... Um, facials I get acupuncture as necessary if I have any like pain or a dip into like this is a little bit too far into this sort of sadly normal depression versus like extreme <laughs> you know what I mean mm -hmm. um I do yoga and I do Koya Q-O-Y-A Rochelle Sheik she's amazing if she hasn't yet been on please have her on um Q-O-Y-A dot love she does this mix of um of like ritual and dance and yoga that is not choreographed because me plus choreography equals I am so mad and swearing a lot. Um, it's, it's more of like free dance with sort of gentle intentions and ideas around it. And it's, I'm so bad at being in my body and she makes it so easy. So I do Koya as well. Okay. I'm going to have to look that up because I am also so bad at being in my body. So full circle back to the like essential oils and the, this just feels good. Like I'm, I'm looking at that as potentially like another layer of, I mean, not just normal human joy, but treatment, depression treatment, like that when you're someone who's in your head so much, like that works until it doesn't. Right. And then when you get into that place of, I don't care, like nothing matters. I like, it's, it's almost like when I'm depressed, I'm like truly bewildered that I ever cared about anything like that's sort of how I feel like this thing yes. that seemed so important two weeks ago I'm like who was that Nicole that cared about that because this Nicole doesn't give a shit and I can't imagine ever giving a shit again right and so it's like I'm looking at 
if there were some more practices that actually made me more like physically grounded in myself, like my body, I think that that would be helpful. And so that's something that I'm, it's good to hear that you have a recommendation that I haven't heard of her or this, but I just wrote it down and I'll put it in the show notes for sure. Um, Cause that sounds definitely interesting. That's amazing. And then um, Kim Anami, the well-fucked woman, her classes um, are what? Tell me more about amazing. this. Amazing. Oh my God. I must send you to Kim Anami. So Kim Anami, like, I think that I am brave in theory. And then I see Kim Anami, like just Kim Anami's Instagram feed. And I'm like, I, there's no bravery in me. I don't know what to tell you. She, um, she teaches vaginal weightlifting and then her Instagram feed is like, hashtag did you say vaginal weightlifting? I did. Oh my God, this is the best. Okay. Tell me everything. Okay. So she's, I think she's the second strongest vaginal weightlifter in the world. Like the first is like something absurd, like 30 pounds. And I think Kim can only do like 18 pounds of lifting with her vagina. (laughs) Um, right. And so she teaches, um, she teaches the well-fucked woman, which is regardless of whether you're in partnership or not. Um, she sort of helps you discover your more feminine and sexual nature, which I, for some people it's like, well, duh. But I'm like, no, if you don't like to be in your body, you're like, I don't know what to do with this. And I don't really care. I mean, whatever. So she helps you sort of go into your body. And the well-fucked woman is all about just taking care of you, your needs, your orgasms. What do you like? What do you not like? Where are you ignoring your body? What is going on there? Um, And then she has a class called coming together. That's about, you in partnership with someone else so taken like I cannot recommend her enough I mean I I know what I'm doing for the rest of the week like this it's a testament to how much I want to keep talking to you that I'm not just like okay bye I'm gonna go read this website (laughs) (laughs) so that's amazing yes Um, I will send you a link to the well-fucked woman it's amazing and she um she's I thought that I was asexual because I was so shut down when I was married it was just like this is not fucking happening like I didn't have sex for Two, the last two years of my marriage, no sex whatsoever. So I was like, okay, clearly I'm just asexual. That's the thing. And then um, Kim's classes were like, <laughs> no, that's not the thing. You're, you're shut down for one specific human, but not like for all of humanity. There's mm-hmm. a difference. Yeah. Um, and she was just incredibly helpful. And I, I say this as if I know her. I'm like, I've literally taken her classes. She has no idea who I am. Um, she just has online classes that are amazing. And so. Okay. She's- I love that. So circling back um, into the into the depression thing a little bit, something else that I would love to talk about is any, I don't know if advice is the right thing, but advice that you have for, let's say, loved ones of people with depression, right? Like, like one of the things, um, I don't even know what the question is that I'm asking, but sort of like, it, let's say someone were to come to you and say, oh, my husband, my friend, my whatever just told me that this is something that they struggle with and I don't know what to say or what to do. What what would you say? Or like what's helpful for you or anything in that space that you want to comment on? Um, when people tell me that they have depression and it's not treated and they haven't told anyone, um, the first thing I do is suggest that they tell someone and then seek treatment in whatever way possible. So the first thing is that you can go back to the person and say, thank you for telling me that. Thank you for filling me in. And I realized that every instinct in you is to not share any of this and to be alone in this. So thank you for including me. Is there any way, like, is there any behavior that I can help you fight against that pushes you further into depression, but that you naturally do? For example, when Mm. I'm depressed, I hermit like a motherfucker. Oh my God, me too. Yeah. So I specifically ask, like, will you please, like, I'm a dog, like, take me on and walk me, like, take me to a place 
um, once a week, twice a week, and be sure that like I have showered, dressed, and put on makeup whenever we go out. Not because I give a shit about how I look, but just because like anything I can do to stay in the wheel of being human and not to like try and jump off and become like pure animal cave mammal is really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that so much. The, I mean, my natural inclination is to isolate because I don't want to be a burden to people or it's like, it's not like a thing. I don't feel like I need help in terms of like the way I would ask someone to come over and like help me build a bookcase, right? Like there isn't like a, I don't need help with a thing, but it is helpful to spend time with people. But when I'm feeling that way, I don't feel like I'm worth spending time with. It's like this weird, I'm not weird, I guess it's probably pretty common, just like feedback loop of it's better to spend time with people, but I don't reach out to people, right? So it's kind of that that space yeah. to what you said, like, yeah, come over and walk me. Like, that sounds mad. <laughs> my, my husband and I use that phrase where I'm like, okay, it's time for me to walk me when you get done with work. Like, like, yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, so part of it is just asking if there's any way that you can be helpful. Um, and that includes in the future. So if you're like, oh, I don't know right now, but you think of something in three days, like, just let me know. Um, and then just to just relentlessly check in on a person. Um, Just like, I'm going to check in with you and I'm going to keep checking in regardless of whether you answer or not, because I'm going to assume that you need to hear from me, Mm -hmm. um, especially if you're close to the person. Um, And then just never shaming the person for having depression. I mean, that seems like a given, but maybe not. So um, if they could get out of it they would it's not a chosen thing as much as it might seem like it like just like you aren't you don't go to the store and pick up breast cancer for funsies you don't do that with depression either so just remembering that they really are the same in terms of you didn't choose it and um so shaming the person for it in no way shape or form will help ever for any reason it'll just cause them to withdraw more yeah and something that i would say along those same lines is like inadvertent shaming i think can often start from a well-meaning place of wanting to help when it takes the form of like trying to fix someone, right? Like giving unsolicited advice about like how to cure yourself or like what they think, but you don't really need to be on medication or any of those things, right? Like something that's maybe seemingly they're trying to help, like winds up, I think uh, for me on the receiving end, feeling like being shamed. Yes. Like I get it. I'm broken and you're trying to fix me. Thank you. Um, and it's a hard line to walk. There's a hard line, um, especially for my partner, between like when he just wants me to get me out of the house and walk me. And some days I want that to happen. And some days I'm like, no, fucking stop it. Stop trying to get me out of the house. You're manipulating me. And like, poor, the poor guy is like, this is what I asked for. And just because I asked for it doesn't mean that I'm going to be appreciative of it when you give it to me. Mm-hmm. I know, right? <laughs> like, Sorry. <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah. But uh, the parallel that you said, like no one goes to the store to pick up breast cancer, right? Like that this is the same. And uh, of course, it's it's interesting. So I guess my last question for you on this topic, again, a selfish question, is something that I struggle with is especially when I'm feeling, I'd say like mildly depressed, right? Like when it's not that bad, when it's low grade, I have this sort of like self-shamey, maybe I am just not trying hard enough. Maybe like almost like it's it's difficult for me to take it seriously because I feel like this isn't that big of a deal. Like just get over it. Do you ever have sort mm-hmm. of internal self-talk issues around this kind of thing? Yeah. Um, mine are like, just, just fucking stop crying. Like, can we just have one day when you don't cry? Please, please, please. Like um, my inner 
asshole brain just gets super like we're only allowed to have positive emotions today and this is unacceptable. Um, and those are when uh, I remember the, the Brene Brown thing about the shame in a Petri dish. Um, if you tell on it, it can't survive. And so that's when I out myself as like, here's what's going on in my head. Just so you know, I am a terrible person because I am feeling feelings that are not pure joy and ecstasy. Um, brain is telling me that uh, I'm a bad person. Brain is telling me that I should just get over this. And brain is telling me, like, just, I just out every single thing that brain is saying. And I say it as brain is saying this so that I'm telling you that I understand that this is not a great thought that I'm having. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I still want to relay it so that you aren't just looking at me and being like, what the fuck is going on with her? That I can still relate my experience while keeping some distance from it by saying, I'm having a bad day in my head. And this is what Brain is saying. Yeah, no, I like that sort of differentiation that sort of speaks to I am not my thoughts, right? That it's easy to think that just because something passes through your head that that's unequivocally, that's the truth. That's the truth of who you are. When actually, it's just a thought that's in your head. It doesn't have to mean anything, right? Yeah, I feel like the first part of any person's like big, giant awakening epiphany is the realization that like, just because your brain says you're stupid doesn't mean you're stupid or mm-hmm. whatever your brain, whatever your brain says you are that's bad and terrible. That doesn't mean that you actually are that thing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So uh, pivoting, I guess, a little bit um, in this space of vulnerability or bravery or real talk or whatever, obviously being able to be open about things like depression, you know, sharing hard things, I think is so important. But something that I've been thinking about lately is almost how there's an expectation when you talk about vulnerability or honesty, like to go directly to like only the hard things, right? Like this is my deep, dark, whatever. Whereas like the opposite side of the coin, I feel like it's sometimes equally hard to allow ourselves to express joy. Like there's almost some like guilt that can come from like the vulnerability of joy. And um, I don't, I mean, I don't know that I have a specific question, but just sort of like the flip side of the coin, what does that look like for you? Oh, I feel like joy is the most vulnerable emotion you can have because it's the easiest to like, shut down, stifle, stymie, or push away. Like, who the fuck are you? Like, what, what the fuck are you doing? You're stupid. You're silly. Like, um, you're made to feel childish for experiencing joy in any capacity. And the truth is that joy is just the other end of the spectrum and that you're, like, you don't get any points for not experiencing it or for pushing it away. You mm-hmm. don't, there are no, there are no joy police that are like, oh, you've been awarded 10 points for not expressing that. Like, joy is... I'm just breaking the place. Never mind. I'm just <laughs> things are falling down. That's fine. Um, joy is meant to be expressed and shared and multiplied. And acting as if you don't deserve joy, it's it it doesn't actually serve you or do any good. It doesn't earn you points. It doesn't lead to a an, an up leveling of your soul. Like I don't believe suffering is the way. I think that we can learn through joy and we can learn through suffering. And that most people just refuse to learn through joy, and then they have to learn through suffering. Yeah, or even that like joy, this belief that it has to be earned is something that's come up in conversation with some friends lately. This that like, who are you to experience this, you know, joyful afternoon when X, Y, or Z terrible things are happening in the world? Or it's it's again, this either or like that you're not allowed to, I don't know, that, you, it, that it has to be earned or that it's, you know, inappropriate to experience joy in the face of something else bad happening that added like the situation have to be completely perfect in order for you to deserve to feel joy. I feel like that's really prevalent and really damaging. Yes. 
um, the, the, the thought that you have to earn joy, like you have to earn a paycheck is just harmful to everyone. Like, no, three-year-olds don't earn joy. Three-year-olds just have emotions. Joy is one of them. They have a really good time. Um, dogs don't earn joy. They're just like, dude, have you seen this? This is awesome. Like, did you smell this? Did you smell this right now? Because this is amazing. Like bacon, there's a skunk. I am rolling in it. Oh my God. Like it, in the natural world, animals experience all of the emotions and they don't earn a single one of them. And we, at whatever level, are animals and pretending like, no, joy is the most sacred and special emotion that we have to dole out like it's rations in the USSR in 1953, it doesn't work. It doesn't serve anyone. It doesn't lead to a bettering of society. It just leads to more miserable people. And we have enough of those, frankly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think of joy as like, it's almost brave to be willing to just be joyful. It can feel that way because it's the easiest to shut down. It's the easiest. It's the, the likelihood that someone will laugh at you for being joyful is much higher than the likelihood that someone will laugh at you for being miserable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So switching into talking about bravery a little bit, tell me about your brave workshops that you teach. Brave is, um, I just feel this need to take brave away from you jumped out of a plane, you went bungee jumping, you ran into a fire to rescue babies like physical acts of bravery are one way to be brave, but I think that there are these other ways that we can be brave that are much more subtle and much more influential in our daily lives. Like the ability to turn up the volume on yourself, the ability to feel what you're feeling as you're feeling it, the ability to draw boundaries and say no when you really, really, really want to say no instead of pretending that everything's okay. Um, So it's a workshop. It's two days in which we sort of engage with all of these different types of bravery and, um, and then have a little bit of one-on-one time to be like, okay, what is the thing that you do that you need to do in order to be brave? And, um, we sort of get to the root of it and it's typically one thing and everyone can identify it within 30 seconds of my asking the question. And then the rest of the time together is just like, okay, and now proceed with the excuses for why you can't possibly do this. <laughs> yeah right <laughs> that that's like everybody knows like if you like if you were being brave what would you do right now almost everyone can answer that question and then there's just this litany of excuses that come after and so the workshop is just taking those excuses and clearing them from your life one by one to be like mm-hmm. the truth of this is that this is a doable thing and if it doesn't feel doable yet then we haven't done enough work with it but we can keep working with it and we can make it a thing that happens yeah, I, li- I like this idea of sort of redefining bravery or at least like expanding it beyond, you know, like what you said, sort of what like movies or culture would lead us to believe like bravery is this like very physical act, right? Or those examples that you gave and sort of making it more expansive to include other things. And I mean, can you share some examples of maybe how you have been brave in different ways this year? What's that looked like for you? Um, the bravest thing for me was to actually hold another in-person gathering post brand camp. This was the first one this year was brave. Um, and then to hold another one, um, brave for me has been in the last year. I've also published a book of poems and, um, been sharing my work in much closer to real time than ever before in terms of my poetry and calling myself a poet, which is a ridiculous amount of bravery that no one else understands to be like, yep, it's ridiculous. And that's the truth of it is that mm-hmm. it, like in my deepest soul, if you were like, what is it that if you took it away, it would, it would truly harm you. 
the answer is poetry. And so I'm a poet. That's how it goes. Um, so claiming a title, publishing a book, um, spending a lot less time writing listicles, a lot more time delving into my own depths and then sharing them and um, opening um, another workshop, despite the spectacular financial failure of the last one. <laughs> yeah. So so in doing this workshop, obviously you have been on the receiving end of other people's answer to that question that you posed, right? Like what would you be doing if you were being brave or h- however yeah. you phrased it before? Um, obviously not like outing anyone specifically, but what are some of the, the things that you have heard in response to that? Like what are the things that you have heard sort of maybe over and over if there's any common themes or that people would be doing if they were being brave? Um, typically it's just a matter of speeding up the timeline. Um, I can give you two examples. One, we will call her, we won't call her anything. She just, she is, she's a human. Um, she was like, okay, so here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking that I'm doing this thing and then I have an eight year plan for how I get to the next thing, which is what I really want to do. And I have an org chart for that and I have it all set up and I have it ready to go. And I'm like, why, why, why must there be eight years between you have a business and there's this new thing that you want to start? Like we need to take that timeline and just, and then it's like, there's weeping. Right. And then there's like, I guess I could, there's no reason that I can't just take on like some small elements of that project now and then work for the next eight years to get to where I wanted it to go instead of being like, I'll start it in eight years. So we, um, we burned her org chart, which was the most delightful thing to be like, no, this, this, awesome. this does not need to happen right now. Um, another woman was like, I have wanted to live in California since I studied in college there in 2002. It is 2017. I do not live in California and I would like to move. And so while she was at Brave, she interviewed at two different companies, um, which prompted a bidding war for them to, to get her. And she moved last week to California to start her new life mm. with a new job. <laughs> I love that. I love the idea of bravery being about speeding up the timeline for the thing that like we already most of us know at least whatever one thing is that we want to do right or that we're putting off because of any number of excuses or fears or insecurities or usually all of the above right that it's it seems like safe enough to say this is something in the future and then the bravery comes from okay but why the future like why not right now and like that I don't know I've never really heard it put that way before but that makes so much sense to me. Yeah, that unless you're brave is like, I'm going to do this with my kid when they're 18 and they're currently one, like, unless it's very timeline specific, you can probably speed up the timeline and have some really amazing things happen really quickly, actually, Mm -hmm. and much more quickly than you would think if you were just logically thinking through it logistics wise, because there's, there's got to be room for kismet, for magic, for the unexpected, for intuition and for the universe to be like, oh my God, finally, yes, let's do this thing. Yeah. So magic is a word that I've heard you, you or seen you use, you know, a bunch in your work. When you say magic, like what, what do you mean by that? Like, what do you mean when you talk about, you know, allowing the magic of your own life to rise to the surface? Um, for me, it's, it's a mixture of the ability to listen to your own interiors and what is going on in there. And like at a gut level, do you like this person? Are you attracted to this person? Do you like this concept? Are you attracted to this class? Um, all of those things, paying attention to that and then paying attention to the externals as well. Um, so I call it sparkle, which is you're walking down a street, you're hungry. There are, let's say you're in New York city, there are 12 restaurants in your view. Which one of them is interesting to you? 
And maybe um, that's that interest is purely like graphic design and lighting. But maybe one of those is sparkly to you because they have something that's really, really lovely and wonderful. And the sparkle and noticing the sparkle takes away the decision-making time of like, let me get on Yelp. Let me pull up these 12 restaurants. Let me compare them objectively in the blah, 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 blah. So um, magic to me is paying attention to what's going on in real time in your body and in your interior life and also paying attention in real time to what's going on around you. What is trying to get your attention, wink at you, draw your eye or otherwise invite you into the dance of life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, I'm always interested in the, I don't know, intersection balance, whatever we want to use of like structure and schedule. Like when you were talking about sort of having like a hyper structured day like that, but also allowing time for exactly what you just described, right? Like space and time for spontaneity and for this thing to come up. And what does that look like for you in your life? Like having your schedule, your structure, your priorities, you know, whatever goals, tasks, and this whole Mm -hmm. other thing. On Saturdays, uh, my best friend and I will usually get together sometime around noon and just go wandering together. So we have these amazing experiences where we're just like, okay, we're going to get in the car. And then we will see where we end up. And one day, my favorite day, we drove like into the woods. I have no idea where we were. I could not retrace it for any amount of money. And I was like, it's over here. It's over here. It's over here. We turn a corner. There is a pop-up library, a petting zoo, and a circus just in the middle of a field in the middle of nowhere. I had never been there before. I couldn't find it again. And it was just this following the sparkle, this sense of like, there's something this way and this way. And there it is. Of course, it's a pop-up library. Yeah, obviously. (laughs) Oh my gosh, that's amazing. (laughs) Um, So we've made a practice of doing that and just of playing the like, what is it the world wants us to find? Um, One day we found, again, absurd. I was like, there's just this deep need in me for quiet. And so um, it was a really warm day in February. We found the only cafe seemingly in Philadelphia that had outside seating. We had this amazing food and we got in the car and wandered and we found um, there's a continuously operating sisterhood of nuns in Philadelphia that just sits in the chapel all day um, with the Eucharist so that Jesus is never alone um, in silence. And so there's been a hundred continuous years of silence in the space that we found with pink nuns. (laughs) Yeah, it's almost like I I love the idea of I mean, uh, scheduled spontaneity, I guess you could call it, right? That it's like you're showing up, you know, with this person that you love, but with no agenda, right? That like, that there has to be a commitment to we're both going to show up together and then just see what happens. That I like that, that it doesn't just have to be like completely spontaneous, not that that can't happen too, but there is such Mm -hmm. a thing of like showing up for the magic, I guess, which I don't know, maybe that sounds silly, but. No, that makes sense. And that you're making a space for spontaneity um, that, that this, something's going to happen here and I'm going to make room for it and time for it, but that I don't know what's going to happen there mm-hmm. versus like, we're going to be spontaneous. It's going to be in Philadelphia at 7 p.m. on Tuesday uh, at the corner of 3rd and Gerard. Like, like right. it doesn't, <laughs> it just got way less spontaneous. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, so random questions that are popping into my head, um, circling back to things that you have previously said. So going back to your Brave workshop, um, 
hosting anything where you're essentially like hopefully creating a safe space for other people to share vulnerable things, what have you found like really helps to create that space? Like, is there anything specific that you do as the one who holds that space? Any particular sort of questions or icebreakers or, you know, what what's helpful for you in doing that? This is one of the things that I do really well naturally. And so it's taken, it takes, a, it's really hard for me to articulate, honestly. Okay. Like, um, one of the things though, is that I assume the best of everyone and I expect them to assume the best of me. So that just means that I actively say at the beginning of a workshop that like, I'm here to push you. I'm not here to break you or trigger you. And so if something that I've said just strikes you as wildly out of line or wildly inappropriate or just, what are you doing? Just assume the best of me. Assume that I did not mean to trip your trigger that hard. And then tell me about it because I can't fix anything that I don't know about. Mm -hmm. And I, in turn, should you say something that's like, what the fuck are you doing? I will assume the best of you. And in assuming the best of each other, we can generally have a fairly decent dialogue and figure out what's going on and get to the bottom of it. Yeah. Um, assuming the best of people is really, really helpful. And then I am always the one to go first with being vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And I'm always the one to be like, this is how far we can go. And then I just like, like to the bottom of the Marianas Trench, like there, that's where I can go. Would you like to come with me? And then wherever you would like to go in terms of depth, I'm there and I will, I will be happy to be there with you. So it's just that modeling that. And then I think another part of it is that I'm not in, I really make an effort and it's taken a lot of years to not be intimidated by emotion. So if you need to weep, you weep. Occasionally that means that I'm crying with you. Often it means that I'm not because being really good at holding space means that I'm allowing you to feel what you're feeling, but I'm also very present in my body and what I'm feeling and moving you through this emotion that you're having. Mm-hmm. Um, so just being committed to being present, being committed to assuming the best and being committed to being the one that's always willing to go first and never asking anyone to do something that I wouldn't completely and totally be willing to do. Yeah, I love this idea of being willing to go first. I remember hearing a story about a woman um, who one of her practices was like being the first to like smile at a stranger in a room or on the street or whatever, like not waiting for someone else to do it. Right. And that was like such a Mm -hmm. tiny thing. Like you're at this cocktail party, like you're the one who's going to smile first or say hi first. You're just like putting yourself in the role of like, I'm going to go first. I don't know. There's, Mm -hmm. there was something about that that really stuck with me that I'm not always great at, but when I'm being my best, I am great at. So it's interesting to sort of hear you put it in this context too. Yeah. Because if you, you can say like, this is a safe space and you, it's energetically, if you just go deep, really deep, really quickly first, you've said all of that and you've made a container for magic to happen without having had to articulate like hipster style. This is a safe space. Right, right. Here we honor everyone's feelings. And like, you don't always have to say that if you energetically just do the work first. Well, in saying it isn't the same as actually having a safe space. Like that you can, right. you can say that <laughs> and still be judgmental and still be shamey and still be, right? So, you know, yeah, I agree with you. It's 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 something that I'm always interested in asking people who like host the types of things you do, people who are coaches, other folks who have podcasts, because I mean, essentially being like, let's say a professional question asker, right? Which is in a lot mm-hmm. of ways what I am, right? There's something that's really interesting to me of how that process works for other people. Like if there's particular questions that they love asking, Asking, whether it's in a coaching space or, you know, in an interviewing situation, I'm just, I find myself very curious about, you know, how other folks approach that. Yeah, my master question 
um, if you work with me in any capacity, you'll hear this from me at some point is if it could go perfectly, how would it go? Mm. Um, just cause I think we spend a lot of time, like, I don't want this. I don't want that. It's not this. It's not that it's not this. It's not that it's. And so it, it's, it's a way through all of that without saying all of that to just, if it could go perfectly, how would it go? Mm, yeah, um, that's a great question. Um, my good friend, Alex Franzen, who's also been on the show, likes to ask a question that's, uh, I guess, similar, but but different in regard to simplicity. Like, what if this what if this were easy? Like, how would this look if this were simple, right? That we get so stuck in the like, mm. this is so hard because there's so many obstacles. Okay, well, what would this look like if this were easy? And I, I find myself always coming back to that when I'm really in my own way. That's such a good one. Yes. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Yours is so good, too. Look at this. Look at that. I'm just like all these questions for my journal. What do you have any favorite questions to ask yourself, like in your own reflection process? Um, I actually, in my own reflection process, try my very best to not use words. That's when I have to just be in my body and feel things and be like, it's it's OK. It is what it is right now. Um, that's why breath work is kind of been a miracle for me in that um, I'm often I just read a book and it was about dogs commenting on humans and they were like, these humans, they just sit around and think all day. Could anything be worse? (laughs) 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 So um, at the very best moments in my process, I will just let it all go and breathe. And that it's so hard, but somehow everything works itself out Mm -hmm. that way. So this might be a really silly question, but when you say breath work, what do you mean? I mean, um, I subscribe to the school of uh, my breathwork teacher is Erin Telford, E-R-I-N-T-E-L-F-O-R-D. So you set aside about an hour um, to do a three-part breath, which is just you breathe into, um, into your belly, into your heart, and then out. Like just that simple for about 30 minutes. It doesn't seem like much. And... Um, with a really sophisticated teacher or facilitator, um, you do this amazing um, being in your body process and letting go. And you, because your mind is just occupied with like one, two, three, one, two, three, focusing on where you're breathing, it sort of disengages the mind completely. So the body can just do what it needs to do and release what it needs to release. Mm. How did you find that teacher or get interested in this work? Aaron, I found about five years ago um, to do some acupuncture with, and I went and sat with her for a consultation, and it was better than the two years of therapy preceding it. Like, just she's a consummate healer; she's amazing. Um, and then I recently rediscovered her and was like, "This breathwork thing—it's very sparkly. I don't know. I don't understand. It's only thirteen dollars. Fine." Um, and have you ever? Have you ever had? Time, I call it time getting wibbly. Like I was sure that she had sent a recording that was like four minutes long. She had fucked it up and I was supposed to get an hour and I was sort of pissed that I didn't get an hour. And then I looked at it and I was like, oh my God, like time just went, like time just went away. It didn't exist. That was a four minute experience. My whole body was tingling. I felt high as a fucking kite. I had breathed. That's what I had done. (laughs) Um, so it was it was so miraculous. I did one session of breath work and was like, I need to learn how to teach this to literally everyone I know. And so I'm doing that in September. I love that. 
Oh, okay. See, another thing for me to check. I feel like this is the best episode because I have like all this homework that I like want to go <laughs> look up all these things. Oh my things. God. I'm so excited to introduce you to these people. I'm like, oh go, 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 go. That's amazing. So, good. so, so good. the last thing that I wanted to ask you about before we start to wrap up and go into our community questions, you said something um, earlier in the conversation. I don't really remember the context. Maybe it was, you know, always wanting to grow and valuing growth or uh, essentially I'm curious what you have to say about how to stop keeping yourself small or like the frustration of trying to tone yourself down for other people so that you won't be labeled too much. Like this is something that I think about a lot and I would love to hear you talk about that. Yeah, I think you have to be willing to be labeled too much. You just, if the goal is to never be labeled too much, there's a certain size that you can grow and no bigger um, just by societal standards. Um. And eventually, as you grow, your size will surprise you, and it will also matter less. So um, I guess the best example that I can have is if you imagine they're in an elephant or in a room, um, you have a person, and the person is with a kitten, and they're, they're really frustrated, they're really upset, they, they're really hateful, they're having a fucking terrible day, and they kick the kitten. How much damage is done to a kitten if you kick it? And then imagine that in that same room, that person is the same amount of angry with the same amount of wrath, and there's an elephant, and they kick the elephant. And how quickly you're like, oh, you dumbass. Oh, no. <laughs> like, um, that we naturally, like, the smaller we are, the more vulnerable we are to the, like, the hurts and the petty things and the, what will my sister's cousin's mother-in-law think of me? And the, the bigger you grow energetically, the more, like, it's the same amount of kicking that you're going to take, but it's... You you move toward that elephant size of like I see you I understand what you're doing and it doesn't hurt nearly as much as it would would have three years ago because I'm in touch with my own soul my own being my own worth and it doesn't matter to me that you're really angry right now mm. and I'm talking about like internet troll type just like general vitriol and bullshit coming at you yeah. I'm not talking about your most sophisticated relationship with the human that you adore most in the world just general stuff coming at you I think that's been the most shocking part I'm not sure if this pertains to your question but the most shocking part of getting bigger like very slowly but steadily over time especially energetically has been how like oh that would have taken me down for like three weeks beforehand and today it was just an email that I deleted yeah um and that's just a matter of energy and of growing into like the more rooted in myself that I am, the more that I'm not intimidated when you don't like it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think there's something that's really, really powerful about what you said of, okay, well, you have to just be willing to be labeled too much, right? Like that in this, in this scenario, which could be, you know, a parallel for a lot of other things, like, okay, what's the worst, what's the worst thing that could happen that that's that people think that you're too much, right? Or that you're too messy or too loud or too whatever. Okay, so what if that happens? Okay. And then like, what if you go on anyway, right? Like it's being able to address this thing that like, instead of trying to contort to fit, okay, well, I don't want to be labeled that way. What if you just like give up on it? Like essentially like step outside and like be unwilling to play that game anymore. Of course (laughs) it's easier said than done, but it's definitely something that I think of like just to be, okay, looking at areas of my life where I have been sort of keeping myself small or like that's, it's not serving me. It's not serving anyone else. And like, there are people I'm sure that will be rubbed the wrong way by me choosing to not do that anymore. And like, that's not, Mm -hmm. that's not on me. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. Just assume that that's going to come at you, but assume that there's no way for you to prevent that coming at you. So too much could come at you when you were like teeny tiny kitten size. And then what are you going to do? You can't just stay that way forever. Right. Right. 
Yeah, no, I love it. I love it. Um, okay, so I think that is a good place to start to wrap up, even though I want to talk to you for the rest of the day. Um, <laughs> so the way that we end these are with um, a series of nine community questions. So they're questions that the Patreon community, the awesome folks who fund the podcast, sort of put up You know, each season. Hey, here are some things that I would love you to ask all eight guests. So there are nine sort of random questions that you can answer as rapid fire or not as you like. All right, cool. Let's do it. So the first one is about routines. There's so much focus on morning routines, but can you Mm -hmm. share what your evenings look like? How do you typically spend your evenings? My evenings are incredibly boring because my brain is useless after 5 p.m. So there'll be some rustling up of dinner. It is just, it's literally that. Like, I don't enjoy cooking. I have tried. Um, So by hook or by crook, dinner is obtained. Um, in general, there's some Netflix or Hulu watching, and then I read, um, for an, a half an hour to an hour and a half, somewhere in there before I pass out, like all the boring. That's not boring. That sounds amazing. Reading's my favorite activity. If I, <laughs> I read, it's the last thing I do at night. It's the first thing I do in the morning. It's yeah, I'm an obsessive reader. So <laughs> yeah, I love it. I saw your list and I was like, oh, there's so many books. I need to, oh God, I need to get started now. I'm so behind. Oh my God. That's, I mean, my perpetual first world problem is that there's too many things to read and not enough time to read them. So <laughs> Yes. There's just too many books. Too many, and too many books, too many documentaries, day. too many podcasts, too many, like I just want to consume all the things, but I can't consume all the things. Yeah. First world problem. Right. Um, yeah. And I get so mad when books are not good because I'm like, you wasted my time and I'm so upset with you because I didn't even know I took a chance on you you have betrayed me yeah no but it's it's that's an interesting it was an interesting like point of self-growth for me and like the sort of perfectionism you don't have to finish a book right like the joining the library was really helpful because I haven't paid for it so I don't feel this like you know investment in I spent $12.99 I have to finish this book like no one's going to give me a gold star for finishing more books like there's plenty of books out there just like stop reading the book that's not good and it sounds so obvious but that was definitely like a, a point of growth for me to be like you don't you don't have to read this book that's not enjoyable to you like ta-da yeah you don't have to finish it yeah that was I remember a professor was like you don't have to read every book you start and I was like what yeah what are you what are you talking about that's crazy talk I love it um so the next question what do you most want to be known for um the first thing that comes to mind which I'm assuming is the right thing is um is the sort of phrasing I've never actually said out loud, which is sacred rebellion, which is this not rebellion for rebellion's sake, but the sense of like your life as it is and the, your days as they unfold, they're holy. And so pretending like filling them with busyness is going to make it better and pretending like biohacking and bulletproof coffee is going to be the answer. Like, there are deeper things at work in your life and it's up to you to be brave enough and rebellious enough to go looking for them and to find them and to bring them to life mm. in whatever capacity they want to come to life. I love that. I've been reading a lot of Annie Dillard lately and this one line of hers uh, has been kind of bouncing around my head the last week uh, where she says, spend the afternoon. You can't take it with you. Like, I feel like that's very like, just spend it, like spend it all, right? Not in like a frivolous yes. money context necessarily, but just, and, and I don't know if that exactly aligns with what you're saying, but that's made me think of that. Yeah. And you don't have to fill it with Facebook. Like I quit Facebook a couple of weeks ago, June 1st, 2nd, something like that. Um, like 9,000 fans, a lick and a prayer, like, holy hallelujah. It was fantastic. Yeah. I don't, I haven't missed it for a second. So 
And if you, you do miss it, you can go back. <laughs> you do. You can. But I like you don't have to do it the way that everyone else is saying. Yeah. Like if Tim Ferriss says you have to do it, you don't have to do it. Yeah. That's a rule. That is <laughs> preaching to the choir, recovering self-help addict. Right. Um, so this next question, um, I wish I remember who in the community put this question up. It's so interesting. Um, what's the last thing that made you feel totally awestruck? Like a moment that stopped you in your tracks, left you at a loss for words, but in a great way? Um, yesterday, uh, I caught a lightning bug and it stayed on my finger and glowed at me for like way longer than any lightning bug ever has in the history of my life. Um, like we walked up a hill and around a corner and up another hill and we were almost the way to the fireworks, like a good quarter of a mile walk with just a single lightning bug, like with his little antenna going crazy and his little butt blinking, trying to get a little mate. And I was like, this is what a magnificent, weird, wonderful world we live in that this is this is a thing that's happening to me. And how lucky am I? This, like this lightning bug is like, I like you. And I'm like, I don't know what you like, but cool. Like, it's cool. Did you want to fuck me? It's all right. I can't do that. So you don't have to glow at me, but okay, cool. And then like he or she went off into his happy little world and did whatever lightning bugs do. It was really good. What's the best gift that you have ever received? I want to say that it's these moments, um, it's never been wrapped, that it's these moments when I am sure that I am like beyond broken and like no one could ever love me. Um, the moments when people in my life have been like, of course I love you. I, there's no question about that and nothing you can do in particular, like what you're crying. I'm not scared of your crying. <laughs> um, feeling loved in those moments when I just feel the most broken, downtrodden, miserable, terrified, all the negative emotions, um, just feeling deeply loved in those moments. Those have been the best gifts for me. Yeah, that is grace for sure. If you were given, um, let's say, an unlimited amount or a large amount of money to try and yeah. fix one problem in the world, which problem would you choose? And what's one thing that you would do? Um, again, I'm going to go with the first answer being the right one. Yeah. And there are all sorts of interesting things happening with like plastics and the amount of plastics in the oceans and magical, like, I would fund all the magical bacteria and creatures and solutions that have been coming to light that are like sort of maybe they could half work, but the sample size hasn't been big enough and be like, fix, fix the plastics, save the ocean. Yeah. This is I what I need you to do. Super on board with that. A couple seasons ago or a bunch of seasons ago, um, I had Beth Terry on. I don't know if you know her, but it's, we basically had an episode that was all about this. She sort of like, I mean, not sort of, she did just like quit plastic and wrote a book about it and did this whole, and it was really interesting and it's been on my mind since then. So I love that answer. Um, What's one habit that you've been successful at adopting over the past few years? Um, recognizing when my brain is being an asshole. Mm, yeah. Just the simple separation between, um, I guess my thoughts tend to be like, X will happen, X will happen. And then there's a very quick spiral into, and then you're homeless, no one loves you, and you like die alone like Edgar Allan Poe in a gutter. Like that's just sort of like, da, da, brrr, right? Right. Um, getting more and more efficient at being like, that's the beginning of a spiral. I'm not going there. And being able to 
observe my brain just having a giant tantrum and being like, you're going to be alone. You are stupid. You are useless. You are worthless. And just watching it like a child having a tantrum in a corner, like how that's not intimidating. You're two. You are stomping your feet. I see you. I'm going to watch you. Make sure you don't really harm anybody. But being able to separate myself from that general tantrum um, internally has made such a difference in the way that I perceive life and the world and what I'm scared of. Like, I'm not scared of the vast majority of the things that I was scared of five years ago. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not scared of myself and my own interiors because I've I've done the work. Like, I'm, as far as I know, I'm here, I've survived, I'm fairly cognizant of my issues and my shit, and I'm working on it. Yeah, I mean, amen, for sure. It's funny that you mentioned fear and being scared because that's, the next question is about fear. Um, is there a fear, well, I guess, I mean, we all have a million fears, right? But that you'd mm-hmm. say has really shaped the way you live your day-to-day life? Um, a fear that shaped the way I live my day-to-day life. Um, or a big fear maybe that comes up for you often. A big fear that comes up for me often is that my partner has a dormant brain tumor. Um, and there's really nothing I can do about that. So um, that's tricky and challenging. And um, I count the days with him. Today is 1006. <laughs> Is that fear rooted in anything or is that just something that you're afraid of with no basis? I mean, it's a, it's a stage four brain tumor that's dormant in his brain. Okay. So, so it just feels like a ticking time bomb. Um, that's just my assumption that like, I guess the fear is like something so good can't possibly last a lifetime. And so it has to be that it's going to be cut short Mm -hmm. because it just, it just can't be this good for this long without Mm -hmm. there being some horribly tragic ending. Mm, that's a heavy fear yeah yeah sorry to bring that up on you i'm just don't be i'm just being honest real talk radio (laughs) i i can hold space for it your your big heavy fear doesn't scare me it's fine yeah (laughs) good um so circling back to books which two or three books any type of book any genre would you say Mm -hmm. have had the biggest impact on you or that you reread or recommend the most basically what should i be reading (laughs) Um, I, f- I will physically force people to read Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert, yeah, which I saw it. on your list, so you're good. <laughs> so we're um, cool. Yeah. yeah, we're cool. I don't, I don't have to force you to read that one. Um, one of the biggest ones that I spent, um, I was very religious until I was 18 and I wasn't. Um, and um, I found Rob Bell's work and his book in particular, What We Talk About When We Talk About God, to be amazing and wonderful and not judgy and... Um, in some ways saving the dumpster fire that was my spirituality and my spiritual life for a long time. Yeah, I feel that way about him too. Yeah. Yeah, he's just so good at like, you are so angry about this. Okay, be angry about that. That's not what I want to talk about. And you're like, damn it. I was really, I really want to talk about how angry I am about that. (laughs) Totally. Um, The poetry of Sharon Olds, in particular. Yes, uh, yes, yeah. Oh my God, that's a college flashback for me. Mm -hmm. Right? In particular, Blood Tin Straw is my favorite. Um, She's amazing and wonderful. She's 70. She won the Pulitzer at 69. She's, I saw her speak recently um, at the Poets Walk in Brooklyn, and she was like, let's have a patriarchy moment here. Um, She was introduced, she's won a fucking Pulitzer within the last two years, and she was introduced as, and now, Galway Canal's friend, Sharon Olds. No. Yes. Mm-mm. And I was like, 
if if winning a Pulitzer doesn't get you to have your own accomplishments, what does? Like, <laughs> what hope is there for the rest of us <laughs> to ever be introduced as like male's friend? Your name? Yeah. <laughs> Come yeah. on. Come on. Shakespeare. We can do better. Yeah. Yeah. We can do better. <laughs> we can. I mean, we can definitely do better. Yeah, she's incredible. Um, man, I haven't. I have not read her work in a really long time. So that is a flashback for me. Um, the last question, if you could leave our community, the listeners with one call to action right now, what would it be? Maybe a question to ask themselves or a small action to take? I think it would be to ask yourself what it means for you to be brave. And then just consider for like 30 solid seconds and you can set a timer if you want, consider that that thing is possible and doable. Yeah, I love it. What's the best place for people to find you? Say hi online. Do you have a favorite way to connect with new folks? I am at uh, kristenkelp.com. And if you click on the magical tab that says Secret Library, I will send you not one, but two full-length books and sample chapters, some samples from my classes, and just general mayhem, and lots and lots of GIFs. So get on the GIF train, kristenkelp.com. I love it. that's, that's my favorite way to connect. Perfect. Kristen, thank you so much. This was so much fun. Thank you so much for having me. I can't wait to, um, to, to see what comes of it and to talk to your people. So please introduce yourself, everybody. Yeah, everyone. Go say hi to Kristen. She's great. <laughs> <laughs> and that's our show for today. Thanks so much for listening and for being part of the Real Talk Radio family. I couldn't do this without you. And as I said way back at the top of the episode, this is now a 100% listener-supported show. The show is made possible by amazing people like Amanda. Hi, Amanda. Hey, hey, Nicole. I'm so excited to be a supporter. I know, a past guest, a community member, supporter. You are, I don't know, I love it. I'm so excited. You're the best. A patron. Yes, a patron. (laughs) So good. So we're going to do a fun little round of rapid-fire questions. Any excuse for me to get to know more about you? Yay. (laughs) Tell Love me it. how you spend the first hour of your day lately. Ooh. Um, oh, gosh. Okay. So my morning is extended into like three hours because I try as hard as I can to get up earlier than my three-year-old. So I meditate and I do something new, actually, that my coach gave me, which is energy activations. So the crazy like reptile brain in your head that or the mind that speaks these uh, you know, fatalistic or negative thoughts, immediately shifting that into a more positive space. So just activating the energy of what you want to be thinking about and how you want to see the world and how you want to see yourself. So I've been doing meditation, energy activation, and then it's like full on child getting ready for daycare mode. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) What are you totally obsessed with right now? I am. This is so lame because everyone else is like 10 years ahead of me. I'm totally obsessed with Spotify right now. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Tell me more. I just figured out how to use it. (laughs) So I've been making uh, this playlist for a long car ride that we have. And that has been really fun for me. (laughs) Well, you are ahead of me because I am not a Spotify user. So I feel really good about that now. <laughs> okay. Also, you're not alone because my friend who lives across the street came over the other night and she was like, have you ever used Spotify? Like she was like telling me about all these. And I'm like, well, yeah, I know what it is. It's been around forever. I just don't listen to that much music, I guess. And so she's like head over heels with it too. So you're definitely not alone. <laughs> that's so funny. Actually, that's funny that you say that you don't listen to a lot of music because that actually did 
that was part of the reason why I was not an early adopter because I I used to find it really difficult to listen to music for like emotional. It was too triggering, like emotionally, not triggering like traumatic, but triggering like it just made me feel so much <laughs> and sometimes that's not convenient so listen you are the only <laughs> person that's ever been able to articulate the way that I feel about music what you just said is <gasps> so true for me and I don't know that I've ever my husband thinks because I mean he listens to music because he works from home too but like in his headphones all day every day like would have music on all mm-hmm. the time thinks it's so weird that I'm always like very begrudging about like I'll listen to music when I run sometimes you know mm-hmm. but it's like basically the same playlist from like 2009 that you know whatever uh-huh. he thinks it's so weird that I don't listen to that much music and I can't explain it just it like opens up so many I think why people like music it like opens up so many feelings that I'm like I got shit to do I like can't (laughs) I can't be sitting here feeling all these feelings oh my god you get me I love it oh my god soul sister (laughs) what's the strangest or most random job you've ever had oh um I ghost wrote a memoir for a woman who was an eyebrow specialist in New York City. What? <laughs> what is there to write a book about, about being an eyebrow specialist? Well, okay. So she did have a very interesting personal story. She was from Eastern Europe. She emigrated here with nothing. And she built, she did build like a pretty big, like beauty not, I wouldn't go so far as to say empire, like Elizabeth Arden or something like that, but um, she she did well for herself. So it was a rags to riches kind of story. Oh, got it. Okay, and so it was more like her, her personal story than like stories about eyebrows. Yes. Okay. <laughs> right, 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 right. But she is very passionate about eyebrows. Hey, I mean, that's, you know what? I guess that's the person you want to go to for getting things done to your eyebrows. I love it. Um, if you have a free afternoon that's just yours, what's your favorite way to spend it? Ooh, I love going for a long meandering walk in New York City. And the first thing that came to mind was go to a movie. I think that's really indulgent. I don't usually just like pop off and go to a movie, but I love to go to the movie. So maybe do that. And tomorrow on the day we're recording this, tomorrow is my birthday. And I'm planning on going to this really crazy like Korean spa that has indoor outdoor like saunas and pool plunge pools and things like that. Um, And it's like eight stories tall. So that's like a super indulgent thing would be to do that. So next time I come to New York, we're going to go on a really long walk and go to that spa because that sounds like the best day ever. (laughs) Um, Last question. What's one thing that you wish people were more open and honest about? Oh, my gosh. Um, I'm re- so I wish people were more open and honest, period. But I think that um, the first thing that comes to mind is parenthood. I have a three and a half year old. And I, I, I guess in the beginning, it was really difficult because especially new moms, I found that all of us had different uh, experiences, but there was no one that was really in the beginning with me willing to like go deep and talk about like what's really going on behind the, behind the veil. (laughs) And I found that very isolating. So I think that, um, I'd love more honest and open questions about motherhood, new motherhood in particular, but also just like behind the scenes in relationships. It's so easy to kind of get, uh, overtaken by what you think is going on behind closed doors, even though it's hard to share that stuff. But I think it's, I think it's isolating when you feel like you're the only one experiencing what you're experiencing, especially in those areas where people can seem so blissful. 
and maybe you're not. Mm-hmm, so, right. And you think, they're, what's wrong with me that I'm not as happy as everybody else? Yeah. 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 So well, I think it can shroud there. Maybe sometime what we will do, if you're open to it, um, around two on the podcast and we can talk about that. Yeah, I'd love that. Because I mean, I I mean, clearly not having kids and that's not my my life plan. I have no wisdom and nothing to offer. So it'd be really <laughs> awesome to hear about it from your perspective. Even just I think it is helpful even for folks like me who don't have kids to hear more of the real talk around that just to be, mm-hmm. like, be better able to support like the new moms in our life. And you know, it's not like I have friends who are pregnant and having kids and doing that whole thing, right? And I just don't know anything about it. And so I think right. that would be a really awesome conversation to have. Yeah, I agree. And I think there's so many assumptions that we make about people and their choices. And, you know, when they choose to have kids, when they don't choose to have kids, why, you know, like, and I think it's just important to clear, clear that out, even if it's our own personal stories, because I think there are probably people that feel the same way out there. Mm-hmm. So you are a member of our Patreon support squad, which means that you're mm-hmm. one of the people that listeners can thank for making this podcast possible since you make a small and powerful reoccurring pledge that helps to fund the costs of producing the show each season. And I would love for you to share why you decided to support the show and what you love about being in our little group. Yeah, absolutely. I actually remember writing to you after I became a patron. And one of the things that I said was that I just believe in independent media. And when artists, creatives, journalists are not beholden to corporations, but also aren't strapped to create their art uh, themselves. They, you know, it's important for us to support, support people that are creating because that's just an, like an S and the essence of, of human life is to create. So, um, in one form or another. So that was one of my reasons. And also I just see it as kind of my responsibility. If I'm a consumer, I should, and I'm consuming your product, your art, I should be supporting you to create it if I enjoy it. So, uh, so those are my reasons. Yeah, I love it. And I, I'm grateful. And it's been a fun opportunity to get to know you better, too. Same here. Thank you. Yeah. Well, it's really a beautiful thing that you're doing in not just taking money, but but utilizing that as a conduit for creating community as well. Yeah. And I, I mean, we were talking off the air about the upcoming kind of series of live events and stuff that I'm going to be doing. And that's the thing I'm like, the community aspect is what I'm so excited about. Not just like it's the two person community of like me and a guest on the show, which is awesome, but being able to bring, you know, listeners and people that also have these same values of like honesty and openness and like judgment free conversation together. Mm-hmm. I'm like very excited about the possibilities for that. I'm excited too. And to everyone listening, if you love the podcast, if you want to help keep it going, if you want over 40 hours of bonus content, plus lots of other fun opportunities like doing outros like this, just go to patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette to make your pledge of $8 or more for each eight episode season. I can't tell you how much your support means to me, and it'll be so much fun to get to know you better after you've joined our community. So until next time, here's a big virtual hug and a reminder that we're all just doing the best we can. And no matter what, we're in this together. 